Oh ho! <laughs> What's good, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy uh, Five Mikes. It's Five Mikes, husband, father, educator, writer, MC. The microphone gives me wings. Hello and good day to all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Idea Manhood Podcast, season two, episode twenty-four. Uh, I apologize for taking the week off. It's been crazy, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. And I also apologize ahead of time for this head cold I have. It's just the allergy season. If you're in or around the DMV area, DC, Maryland, Virginia, then most likely you sound like me. Um, I'm talking directly from the back of my nose. Um, I'm breathing through my mouth. Uh, my eyes are red and watering. Um, my face is breaking out. It's just, I'm just, I'm a mess over here. Okay. Um, but I thank you so much for tuning in anyway and uh, and, and withstanding my nasal tone while uh, while I continue to drain. Um, but anyhow, uh, it's been crazy the past few weeks because I am um, planning for a large event and it's through my job. And so uh, through my job, I'm planning a large event college going celebration in dc so everybody has heard of maybe you have heard of um the college signing day initiative that the former first lady mrs obama uh started a few years ago through an initiative called reach higher well now that she's no longer in the white house she's teamed up with better make room which is the engine behind um a lot of uh the first the former first ladies initiatives to continue the tradition of reach higher and to continue the college signing day tradition so in dc we've been planning this event for two years this will be our third year and we're going to be having dc college signing day tomorrow friday um april 28th it's going to be at george washington university it's going to be from 9 30 to 11 30 i'm going to be co-hosting the event with angie ann from wkys 93.9 howard university alum dmv uh, alumni from this area and a friend I, I i call her a friend but we definitely worked together a couple times to a few different initiatives uh, but this is the first time we're going to be like co-hosting an event in this way and so i'm in a really weird space because one i don't know if my job really knows that i do this like i'm comfortable in front you know that I've emceed shows before. I've done different things throughout my, you know, kind of personal life. And so, you know, they they kind of tagged me to co-host the event, you know, as someone representing the organization that I work for, you know, kind of like to be the, you know, I don't know, the to provide Angie with some structure, not structure like she doesn't know her job, but just like to keep us on task to make sure that, you know, there's an educational foundation to this big celebration. But the thing is, like me and Angie are cut from the same cloth. You know, she she's a professional in that space. But, you know, I'm all about entertaining the crowd as well. You could throw in some medicine in the candy, but it's really a celebration. Anyhow, long story short is I've been preparing for this event tomorrow um, to be on the stage, but also doing everything or most of the things behind the scenes as well. So it's been a really odd space because traditionally, like if you're hosting an event like this, you know, 
hosting an event like this, you wouldn't be, you know, involved in the payment process and the contracting and the lawyer speak and, you know, uh, also coordinating the venue and coordinating, you know, the volunteers and, uh, and, and, and the swag and ordering items and, you know, doing walkthroughs and coordinating with the mayor and writing press releases like you wouldn't normally be doing all of that stuff and hosting. So it's kind of like the culmination of a lot of work over the past three months uh, in this two hour event tomorrow. So I'm both excited uh, to for the for the program because I think it's going to be great, but I'm also excited for it to be over. Uh, so that I could go back and, and, and focus on some other things at work. So speaking of work, um, last week's episode or the week, episode two weeks ago was entitled Well-Dressed Mediocrity at Work. Well-Dressed Mediocrity at Work. And the question that I posed then was, you know, are people or, uh, you know, considering your work environment or considering any environment, you know, the people that are being acknowledged and promoted and put on different pedestals, are they really providing excellent uh, material, excellent content? Uh, or are people that are being promoted and regarded highly uh, doing mediocre work, but they just package it in a way that is much more digestible in whatever environment you're in? So that's the question that I posed last week. And it's so interesting because that topic of work, I think, especially for, you know, guys like me in this space where I am in life, where, you know, you know, I think most people would consider me successful. I don't I don't know. I, I, I never really thought about it like that. But, you know, success in terms of your career, um, you know, success in terms of family, success in terms of education, you know, when you get to a certain point in life. In my mind, like looking ahead, if I was 20, 25, 28, looking looking into now, like, oh, man, when I'm 40, I envision things to be like this. I wouldn't envision them the way that they are in actuality right now. And I say that because I say that for a few reasons and specific to work and and specific to my professional experiences. Um, if I'm being, and and I think it's important and I wanted to come back and focus on work because I think that for a lot of men, you know, we might value, we might place value in our titles or in our accomplishments at work. Um, but we might not pay as much attention to, and this is again, a very broad overgeneralization and maybe a simplification. Is that a right? Simplification. Um, you know, we pay a lot of attention to kind of like the notches, like the check boxes, like, okay, I came up from here. Boom. I'm a, you know, I'm a manager. Boom. All right. I'm supervising now. Check that off. All right. I did my first contract. Boom. I saved the, the, I saved the company this amount of money. Boom. And now, you know, now I'm a, a director, but you know, so we might value our successes or we might categorize our successes based more on things that we do and that is in comparison to 
our work environment, the relationships that we build, the connections that we have, you know, the level of professionalism, you know, our creativity at work, you know, the things that are supposed to really matter, the things that, you know, we go home and think about at night. A lot of us don't really put a lot of work into those areas. We put more work into I'm going to work 12 hours you know, at night after hours so that I can get X, Y, and Z done. So we put more value in kind of the, 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 I don't know, the, 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 the outcome as opposed to the process, if that makes sense. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I've been thinking, thinking, thinking at work and, um, about my work experiences. And just to give a history for me, I'm that type where, you know, a lot of people say the way you do anything, and I don't know if a lot of people, I say it, the way you do anything is the way you do everything, right? So if you're impatient in one environment, you're probably going to be impatient in another environment. If you're hard to please in one environment, you're most likely going to be hard to please in other environments that you're in. And so my history with my jobs have been, you know, I'm a very personable person. All right. So I can go into any environment, whether it's all black, all white, mixed, all Latino, all Asian. It doesn't matter. I can go into any environment and not only make others feel comfortable, but I can be comfortable in any environment. Like, you know, I, I, uh, I connect that to, you know, growing up as a military brat and spending my, you know, growing up in New York in the hood and then spending my summers in Miami and and then having this international background that I have, this Caribbean background, cultural uh, background, and then being a military brat and then going to, uh, you know, a, a predominantly white institution. I just really feel as if I can go to any environment, be comfortable and make others feel comfortable. And so when I go into a new job, I'm able to do that and establish relationships really quick. And people uh, usually trust me and uh, with whether it's projects or with different aspects of the job really quick. I'm I'm able to establish trust really quick. And I'm also able to connect with people in different aspects of the organization extremely quickly and really strong bonds and create strong bonds when I come into most jobs. And I do that through humor, do that through just being uh, engaged um, and, and, and not being so like, uh, not being so structured, not being, you know, limited by the confines or whatever that position has been limited by before. I try to come in and kind of break down walls, bring people together. That's my thing. You know, teams that haven't talked before, people that haven't worked together before, I come in and I make connections. To me, there is a huge value in that. To me, right? So, In last week's episode, I talked about value. I talked about maybe there's something I'm doing or something that you're doing in your job that you think is extremely valuable, but is not valuable to your supervisors or to your colleagues. And I gave I gave everyone the the, 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 painted the picture that maybe if that's the case for you, then 
you have to look for other work or you have to, you know, find other ways where your specific set of skills can be valued in that way. Right. So my history has been, you know, I get into a job, I go all in, I make connections, I bring people together. But there's something about the job that I fixate on that I might not like. It might be a person. It might be, you know, one aspect of the job that I just that either creates internal dissonance for me, you know. So one job, you know, I could work out. I want. I can say it. Should I say it? I don't know. I'll just, I'll keep it general for now. And if I need to be specific, I will. But there was one specific job I worked for that was extremely conservative, very conservative organization. Um, and I'm the opposite of conservative. And I couldn't see the forest from the trees. Like, like how, how could they do this? You know, we're working with students and how could they, you know, limit their students from blah, 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 blah. And I couldn't see that there was a value for me to remain in this environment to be an outlet for students that might not subscribe to X, Y, and Z conservative, um, conservative nature. And so what happens, I'm just giving my history and tell me if you can relate. So what happens is when I get into these environments, you know, I'm, it's, it's good. The first year, the first two years is good. And then there's something that is like I fixate on that is like philosophically different than who I am and what I am. And my experience is that I can't get over and then I leave. Right. I don't leave like I'm out. But I start finding my way out. And so in my experiences, I've had really, really dope, awesome jobs that I left because there was one or two small, you know, I can look back now and say they were small challenges. But in the moment, you know, one or two huge things, you know, quote unquote, that I couldn't really get over. And I, I think specifically the one gig that I had, I, I say gig and try to downplay it, um, but I, the, the same job, the same job that I was just talking about, conservative uh, institution, conservative organization. And I had a certain trajectory where if I would have stayed and kind of plugged through it, then I could have really done some awesome things there. And I always look back on that job. I could say it. I, I used to work at Catholic University. Right. So y'all think like Mike, okay, Mike, what y'all know of me doesn't really vibe or jive well with Catholic or Catholicism in its, you know, in its core. Right. But, you know, I got there, I was young, you know, I was straight out of grad school, you know, but there was something I was able to connect at first with the students because I came in working in a very student, uh, in a position Um, that worked primarily with students. So I was a area director. I worked in housing. I lived in the hall with upperclassmen. My wife and I, we are just freshly married, new to DC, living in the actual city. And I had an opportunity to to live rent-free, you know, in DC and and really made some moves. And I, I made some strong connections with some students that were my RAs and my residents that I still have to this day, 10 plus years later, right? Um, But I think the leadership at Catholic saw something in me. It was something that there was an indescribable thing that I had where I could connect with students in a way and still deliver, you know, not the best news to students and parents that was, you know, that 
was aligned with, I think, this is just looking back on it, aligned with that that kindness and that generosity, that level of generosity that I think Catholics, that is interwoven within the Catholic faith, whatever. So even though I wasn't Catholic, I think there were some values that I had that were, you know, valued. There were some traits that I had that were valued by the university and they valued me, right? So I had to think about this. There were some points. So, so, so let me go back to the job. So I had this job. I lived on campus. After a few years, you know, I was kind of, uh, I, I, I got a promotion and I became one of the deans on campus. I was 26, 27 years old and I was an associate assistant dean of students, right? I was two positions away from the president's office at 28 years old. And I was managing caseloads and I was learning about, you know, so many different aspects of how the university worked. You know, I was on a first name basis with the president of the university and some really important people on campus. And it was just a really welcoming. And you could just tell that even though there were aspects about the job and the conservative nature of how rules were employed and how rules were enforced, I'm sorry, on campus, um, they valued me and I enjoyed working there, but I couldn't get through it, guys. I couldn't see the forest through the trees. I was like, man, these people, these cat, this Catholic thing, man, I can't see it. I, I don't understand. You know, why can't we talk to the students about sex? You know, why can't we tell students to protect themselves? You know, why can't, you know, this was the big thing at that time. Catholic did not have a multicultural office. So this is really what was the straw, right? Catholic didn't have a multicultural office. And so because I'm the only person of color in the Dean of Students office, people would come to me all, and I say people, staff, students, parents, whenever people of color came on campus and there was orientation or if there was any sort of big event, they're like, oh, he's black. He's in leadership. I had to tell him my problems and I had to talk to him and I had the skill set to handle that, right? So I students came to me and they would dump on me oh my roommates racist oh they're saying this in the hall oh people are talking about me like this people made this comment about my hair and i would you know talk to students i would counsel students through it but it was too much for one person to sustain so i went to leadership and i was like look i really think the university needs this 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 a center an organization uh, uh, uh some uh, some structure behind having conversations on diversity on this campus. This was before diversity is what it is right now. This was in 2007, 6, 5, 2005, 6, 7, you know, and I was like, this university needs a multicultural office. Like every multicultural office in the country, there's no reason why Catholic university shouldn't have one. And now, um, long story short, they're like, nah, not right now. It's not the right time. You know, it's coming, but, you know, you can, you know, our office could provide that level of support for students, so on and so forth. So now a little bit of patience and that position would have been mine or it would have come to fruition because now they have that position. Right. Based on a lot of the work that I did 10 years ago. Now, it doesn't mean that I had to wait 10 years and, and suffer through that or, you know, and go through that. But I left. Boom. I was out. Bow. I was like, nope, can't do it. 
And I left an organization that valued me. Right? There were aspects of the job that I didn't like. But I was valued so much so I didn't even, and I was too young and dumb and just, you know, just so aggressively going after that next position. Like, no, I want this. I wanted to, my big thing, I wanted to work at the University of Maryland for student affairs and for working in this higher ed field. Like, Maryland was the mecca and it was so close that, you know, I was like, oh, that's where I'm going to work. So I set my sights and I found a great job at the time, or what I thought was great, at the University of Maryland. Not realizing that at Catholic University, I was valued. And my last day at Catholic University, you know, I was feeling kind of like bitter about it. And I was like, man, you know, these people, they don't understand me. You know, I'm too much. I'm too this for the universe. Like that was me at 28, 29. I think I might've been 30 at that time. And, uh, you know, but I had this, they, they threw a going away party for me. And, you know, I think my wife came out, you know, she was working in Baltimore at the time. She came out and the amount of people that came to this going away party, you know, and I'm talking about, so it's it's Catholic University. So just picture me, if you will, at Catholic University, right? At the time I had dreadlocks, relax, right? So I had dreadlocks, I had tattoos that I would openly display because I'm like yo ain't nobody gonna tell me to cover up my tattoo son you know what I'm saying like I had dreadlocks you know I dressed I dressed we had to dress a little bit more conservative shirt and ties you know but I would funk it up and you know like yeah you know I'm do this I'm gonna wear it with some Tim's not really but kind of like that right and uh so picture me I'm the only person of color in the division in the student life division there might have been three two or three people of color. I'm not even talking just black people. I'm talking black, brown, Asian. It might have been two or three, and it's me. I have dreads, and I have this big personality, whatever. I had this going away party, and that someone threw for me. I can't even remember who. Students came, were crying. They had all this food for me, playing music. I mean, and then there were there was this dean, and I can't remember her name. She was a dean of uh, one of the deans and letters and sciences and she had just retired so she had left before i was leaving she came back she came back and just said she said to my face michael you know it's been it was a pleasure working with you you know the students only talk positively about you it was so easy to work with you we anything we needed we know we could come to you and i was like yo i'm looking around like what's going on why am i feeling this kind of emotion so that person came, the director of the the, um, the police force on campus, the campus police department came and she gave me a big hug. And, you know, it was just all this leadership. I, In my mind, I wasn't even a leader. I was just like the guy. I didn't even I don't know what I was going through. Right. Uh, you know, and all the students, Dean Andrews. Oh, my God. To this day, I'm 40 years old. These kids are 30. 32 and they're calling me Dean Andrews they'll see me on the street Dean Andrews I'm like all right relax okay you're an adult you have three kids relax um but I was valued the president of the university came to my going away party and he pulled me to the side and he said Michael he said I know you know it's been you know it's it's been you know a challenging road for you 
but please know that we will always love you here. You will always be a cardinal. That's what he said to me, the president of the university. He pulled me to the side and he said, do you mind if I pray for you? I was like, Lord, what is going on? I just wasn't ready for that level of that outpouring of support. I, I didn't know it was there the whole time. It was there the whole time and I didn't even see it because I was so stuck on one relatively small, looking back in the moment, it seemed huge, one small aspect of that job that I couldn't get over, right? So he prayed for me and he said, you know, you'll be blessed wherever you go, bazai, bazai, bloom. And I was like, thank you. I was like, thank you so much, you know, father. He was father. He called him father. You know, so at my going away party, it's priests, it's nuns, it's students. Like, it's crazy, right? Catholic, that's Catholic stuff. And so uh, he put me to the side and he gave me an envelope. They had money in it. I was like, yo, I've never left the job to this day where they pulled me to the side, told me how awesome I was, prayed for me, and gave me money. I was like, peace be unto you. What? You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I'm saying, I'm, I'm painting this picture because in that moment, you know, when I was 29 years old preparing to leave that university, I couldn't see the value that I had, right? I was too focused on whether it was individual people, you know, individual, you know, policies or whatever that might be to understand the value that I had there. Fast forward to now, right? Fast forward to now. So part of knowing your value or, or part of recognizing whether or not you are valued is knowing your worth, right? So at 29, I was like, everybody could do this. I'm not doing nothing special. I, I didn't know. But, you know, 10 extra years in the workforce, I recognize that a lot of people can't do what I do. And a lot of people can't do what you do. Whatever it is special that you bring to your job. You have to be able, this is for men because men don't really, we don't really talk about this. We talk about what we do in our job. We don't talk about what we bring to our jobs, right? And so, excuse me, my allergies, are, I can't, my eyes are watering. What's going on? Um, but whatever it is that you bring to your job, you have to acknowledge it first. You have to know and be confident in whatever it is that you bring to your job to even understand if you are being valued. And if you are confident in what you are bringing to your job, whether you're valued or not becomes even more integral to your happiness and your success in that job. Because if you know that you're really good at whatever it is, you're really good at moving boxes, right? And so you just thought it was a natural thing. You thought everybody can move boxes, but when other people come around you and you're moving 20 boxes an hour and they're only moving three, right? But your supervisor or your manager is coming to you and like, well, you know, I don't like the way you're, you're picking up the boxes on three sides. I really need you to pick it up on four, you know, but, you know, uh, you know, what? it's all right. Hey, hey, John, the guy who's moving three boxes, can you show Mike over here how to pick up the boxes correctly so that 
he's picking up on four sides. You might say, well, John only moved three, I moved 20. So does it really matter how? I don't know. But if you are not introspective enough, and if you are not reflective enough on the value that you bring to that organization, you could quickly let your supervisor, your manager, your colleague, someone that doesn't matter, kind of take you out of your lane. It can kind of shake your confidence, right? If somebody's telling you, oh man, you're always forgetting X, Y, and Z, but you know that even though you might always forget X, Y, and Z, you're doing so much to move the company forward or move the department or the division forward. You might be like, dang, I really need to do better with, with, with X, Y, and Z because I keep on forgetting it, not realizing that you have such a larger impact than those few mistakes that your supervisor or your manager or your colleague might be so forthcoming and sharing with you. Um, you just have to be, and I'm saying you, but I'm really saying me, me have to be, uh, so much more aware of the value that you bring, not only at work, I'm putting it in the work context, but that's also at home. Listen, men, we know that, especially if you're dealing with a woman at home, we know that we're going to be screamed on at some point in time. And I'm saying I'm using screamed on. That's a very dramatic term. But we know that we know that our women like to nag about or not not nag because women don't like that word. Okay. We know that our, our mates might remind us of things over and over and over and over again. Things that we either forget or that are not important to us or what have you or hey can you know we know that they do that, right? And if you're used to that kind of interaction with your mate then you might begin to feel like, dang, I can't do nothing right by her. You know what I'm saying? And she's always at, she's always on my back about something, you know, doing with the kids. Or, you know, she's always trying to tell me my shirt is wrinkled or my hair should be this way. It's like, dang, always nitpicking, always nagging. But if you don't recognize your value and what you bring to your home, then you will let those nitpicks shake you out your zone. You will let those nitpicky things put you in a space where you're operating from a less than, from a deficit, than from a profit or from an empowering point of view. And so I'm saying work, but that goes for any environment you're in. If you're a part of a team, if you're a part at home, your partner at home, at work, with your kids, you know, there is so much value in that. And I'm not saying for you, but there is so much value in that for me. And that's the affirmation that I needed. And it came from me. You know what I'm saying? It came from me. I'm in a situation right now, like I told y'all last week, where my F, my work ethic and my set, my specific set of skills are not valued at my job. So now I have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. Do I take my talents and go to South Beach or do I stick it out and be like, yo, my value, you might not see it one person or two people. You might not see it, but I know it. I'm confident in knowing that what I have provides a certain set of, uh, you know, provides value to this organization 
or provides a positive, empowering series of whatever skills, characteristics, traits to this organization that will further advance whatever it is we're trying to do. But that has to come from you. Don't expect that from everyone else. I was getting that at Catholic, like I was sharing, and I didn't recognize it because I didn't recognize it to myself first. So even if you're getting it from your boss or manager, it's not going to mean anything until you acknowledge it within yourself. That's my word for the day. And that was really more for me than you. So if you're listening, thank you. I appreciate that. But um, I needed to hear that because um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be straight up. At work, all I mostly hear is critique. And that's cool because that's that's individual. That's people's personalities. Some people are just more critique critique than most. <laughs> Some people are a little bit more, you know, uh, that's just the way that it is. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with my value. And I, I'm going to be making the decision whether or not my value is uh, it, 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 my skills, my whatever, whatever I'm bringing to the table. If it's not valued the way I need it to be, I'm out. That's that. And I'm confident in my ability and skills to get a job and to find uh, an organization or a company or whatever that will value my skills or stick it out here and not change people's minds, but just do what I got to do. Keep my head down and keep moving. And I think I think most men are going through Many men are going through this decision right now when it comes to work. When it comes to home, too, a lot of the reason why these dudes are leaving their families is because they don't feel as if they're needed. I'm telling that's why anybody leaves anything. That's the God jewel. Shout out to Charlemagne. That's the jewel in this. That's why people leave because they don't feel valued. One of the reasons people leave, should I say. So same thing for work, same thing for home, same thing for a project that you're doing, anything. All right. So that's the good word of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's the Idea of Manhood uh, podcast. Please spread that word. Comment. Uh, uh, share it. Tweet it. Like it. Love it. If you hate it, thumb it down. Give me one rating. But please rate this show, y'all. That's how the word gets out. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's the idea of manhood. It's five mics. Husband, father, educator, writer, MC. The microphone gives me. Woo.